Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey everyone, Larry Kim here, and welcome to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Today we have Jennifer on the line with us, and we're going to be discussing a lot of interesting things. Uh, before we get into anything, uh, Jennifer, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself, tell people where you're from, and tell people what you do? Sure. Um, I'm Jennifer. I uh, live in the South, in South Carolina, and I work in IT in healthcare. So uh, I am the one who you know, works with the computers to help the doctors to do their jobs. I'm the behind-the-scenes person. Awesome. And what brought you into that career? Well, um, when I was in college studying to be a musician, I worked in the ED, and uh, that's the emergency department. Most people call it the ER, but we call it the ED. Um, And it was just uh, so cool to see the doctors in action. And I never wanted to be part of the clinical side, but I loved being the person that could uh, make sure that their systems were running well. I was the person that they called over to help figure out where to click. And so that's when I decided it was it was time to move more that direction. As much as I loved music, it felt like I was doing more good on the healthcare side of things. That makes a lot of sense, especially with all the good that you could really do in the hospital setting with all the people who are uh, facing some of the most difficulties in their life to be in, uh, in their lives in some way, shape or form to really provide uh, benefits so they could go back to living the life that they love. In regards to IT systems, though, uh, it seems that hospital systems have some of the most complex systems in the world, don't they? Oh, yes, they are. Uh, they're very uh, highly protected and uh, complex. And so I know for um, our health system, we have extensive training that we have to do before people even can start using it. Um, so it's very, it's, it's a lot of work to get in there, but there's a lot of complication in keeping people safe and making sure that their records are as up to date as possible. So we, we really do all we can to make it easy for the clinicians but keeping them up to date as trends change and new technologies come out. Yeah, and it seems like there's a big learning curve, especially for a lot of uh, physicians and clinicians who kind of work in that industry. Do you find it difficult for a lot of people who kind of go in and use those systems as opposed to other places? There's definitely a learning curve. You are so right about that Um, because there are so many different electronic medical record systems, if they come to us from a different system or from a different state or even from a different version of our um, medical record system, it can take a while for them to get used to where to click, um, what is required of them, what the different, um, well, not so much requirements, but the, uh, the policies and the procedures. And a lot of that we build into the system itself. But, um, it, it takes, you know, a little bit of time. We do have ways for them to test out of it if they know it really well, but usually they're coming to us and they need that extra help, at least at first. Awesome. And for these systems, they kind of go throughout the entire hospital organization, don't they? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, they connect with the ED and they connect with the billing system and they connect with the doctor's office. So it makes it pretty seamless. And then there are other health systems who have different medical records for the hospital than for the um, doctor's office. But a lot of the medical community is going to more of an inclusive uh, sort of realm where we want it to all be one so that people don't have to uh, go back and forth between so many. So as of right now, what kind of basically happens is if, let's say, you go to three different places, the information isn't really shared from one place to another to another. But as technology is uh, emerging, uh, the goal is to try to really get those three systems to kind of speak to each other and have the same information. Absolutely. Um, And we are moving into a direction where one hospital could actually start talking to another hospital, but in a very um, limited fashion. So we could tell them, yes, this was a patient, and give them ways to request information so that there isn't as much back and forth. We can make it more of a seamless request process if a patient has to be transferred from one system to another. Awesome. Yeah, I could see that being uh, pretty useful, especially nowadays where people are encountering uh, situations that uh, require maybe a specialist of some sort that a particular group may not handle. So they might go uh, looking online or out of state and so forth, and then coming across another organization where they might need uh, the services to be rendered. And uh, with better communication processes, it could kind of make it a lot easier I know in the past, uh, usually the patient would have to go and find all this information themselves, correct? Yes, uh, and some systems still require that. Um, but I know we have a, uh, an electronic version of that, um, and a lot of health systems in the country are moving to that. And what we're finding is that if one, uh, I would say brand for an easier um frame of mind. If one brand of medical record is used in multiple states, then it's much easier to do things like request those records from another state because the systems talk to each other, even across state lines. Oh, wow. It's kind of crazy. And for this technology, uh, have you seen a lot of advancements in the time you've been working in the uh, arena, in the IT arena? I'm not sure how long you've been working in it. Have you been working in it for like a decade, two decades, or what's it been like? Um, it's been about a decade. Yeah, it's been about a decade. And yes, I've seen a lot of a lot of advancements. Um, and all the various brands, as I uh, said, they're kind of uh, in a race. I almost think of it like you know, the race to the moon to try to have the best and the, the most technolog- technologically sound. Um, and so because of that, our uh, care for the patients is improving all the time because they want to have the most efficient care and the most protected information. We want to keep the, you know, the hackers out and keep all of our information secure. Uh, when it comes to protecting data, do you find that a lot of like hackers and other parties are kind of trying to infiltrate and get into the information that you have on hand? Well, yes. Um, uh, and I don't know if it's um, people in our country or other countries or bored college kids 
or high schoolers. But we do have people that are uh, poking at our, uh, you know, our entryways, sort of like the raptors in Jurassic Park trying to find the weak points in the fence. And so we actually have um, ways to train our staff all across the system to look out for certain things like phishing scams via email or uh, people trying to contact them on their cell phones and say that, oh, I'm a member of this hospital, trying to get that information. So we do a lot of training to have our people um, alert and ready for that. Wow. So uh, because it's such a common occurrence uh, and most of these, it seems to be like phishing schemes and so forth, um, it seems that every now and then something might actually happen where uh, data could potentially get gathered from an outside source. Well, I feel like that's a risk everywhere, but I have not been party to anything like that in my time, but I have seen reports of that happening. Um, but we have not experienced it yet. Maybe we aren't big enough. I don't know. Um, I'm not complaining, uh, but I do know that that's a risk everywhere. I mean, look at what happened to Experian. True. Yeah. So um, because the data is so protected and because you guys do such a good job of it, uh, do you think from one institution to another, it's just that there's one tiny mishap that one person might make that causes like a company like Experian to have a data breach while an organization like yours doesn't end up with one? Well, yeah, I mean, that is that is the risk. Um, one person could click on a, a link or uh, share a password or respond to a text message and give somebody an in. Um, I will say, though, one good thing about these electronic medical record systems is the complexity because there are so many layers uh, to getting to the actual pertinent information that they would have to really know what they're looking for to get anything out of it. I mean, our own users can't always get to the data they want and they're trained on it. So because the, so I guess what uh, the healthcare system has compared to other systems is more of a fragmented system where you have to kind of go layer by layer by layer to really go and parse the data. So even if you do end up getting through that, uh, the person on the other end would really have to know how to piece the information together to really find anything that could even be remotely seen as useful in their eyes. Right. Well, that's my opinion. Yes. That's, that's, oh, what I, that's how I see it. Yeah. So I guess that means that a lot of data is really protected when you kind of think about like a health organization as opposed to a different type of organization because of all the different layers that it comes to. But uh, when it comes to uh, working in healthcare in general, I know ever since the pandemic started and I guess about February, March of 2020, uh, the world of healthcare has kind of been uh, put to the forefront of work in regards to other industries where uh, there's been a lot of burden that has been placed into the world of healthcare, a lot of responsibility, uh, time uh, working has gone up, uh, the stress and so forth has kind of uh, 
gain more heavily within your industry as opposed to others. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you may have faced because of the uh, change of the tide of the working world and having like new viruses and so forth come about? Well, that is a fabulous question because we have really had a lot of, I guess, uh, uh, challenges, as, as you said. Um, I'll give you a good example. Um, when the vaccines were announced, we had never dealt with anything like that, where we would have to mass vaccinate a huge population. And yes, it's important to have the, um, the nurses and the pharmacists and uh, the registration staff to get the people through, but we also have to have the um, electronic medical record system built out to accept 50,000 patients in a day um, and to make sure that we get insurance to bill. And if they don't have insurance, make sure that we can submit uh, those charges to the government through the HRSA grant. Um, as well as getting the right information into the system. Is this their first dose? Is it their second dose? Is it Pfizer? Is it Moderna? Um, where are they coming from? Did they have their first dose in another state? Um, are they old enough to have this first dose? That really started um, in December of that year. And so we started doing the build in October when they were really working on the vaccinations and as we were doing the build, we were actually getting pulled onto the front lines because we were losing so many clinicians. Um, all of us were, you know, putting in our, you know, I guess work. So like the people that did registration and insurance would go and do registration at the ED or um, at the main business office trying to see all the patients and get that done because our clinicians and our normal um, personnel were getting sick and or dying from the exposure to the virus. So we were really like backed up against the wall to get that vaccination build in. And then we had to tell everybody about it. And so you talked about um, whether the system would work from hospital to hospital. In South Carolina, we have so many hospitals and we wanna make sure that we have the right patient information. So we had to really um, open ourselves up and open up the lines of communication to make sure that patients aren't getting double doses at these places. So we were having um, meetings and planning sessions overnights and weekends aside from our normal work. And then we had to get trained all the people that would help, which included volunteers who had never touched an electronic medical record system before, had never clicked, had never put in an insurance into the system, had never documented a, um, a vaccination administration as a nurse or a, um, a medical assistant. And we had to teach all of these people in about a three-week time. We trained about 800 people to be on site. And we had about 20 different sites, and each one of them saw 5,000 patients a day. So we really had to build out and reinforce the system all while filling in. And then most of us were on the front lines too, registering people, administering vaccines, doing all of that just to make sure our community could be safe. Um, and all of that was well outside our normal workload. Uh, and then every day at 6 p.m., we would 
have an all call to say what was working well, what needed to be fixed, what needed to be added, um, as well as working the phone lines, answering calls from angry patients who couldn't get in that day because the vaccines ran out and we had to wait for more from the government or answering their questions or helping them get scheduled for their second dose appointment. So it was it was crazy and not something that people really think about because, of course, you're thinking about those amazing nurses and doctors and EDS personnel who are on the real front lines in the ICUs, in the ED, caring for the patients. Um, but there was definitely some, some burnout, especially during the vaccine rollout and for that whole next year, to be honest. Yeah, I could definitely see a lot of the credit really going to the nurses and doctors who are allegedly the front well line of the organizations who are going out there and doing this. But then there were a lot of people within the hospital staff, IT administration and so forth who are really behind the scenes working these uh, processes who haven't had the uh, limelight really shed on them. And they're all due that due credit of really making uh, all of this possible for an organization and so forth, especially with what you just described, with how many people had to go out there and get trained, how many people had to go and man the phones, how many people had to go out there and do all these things that they weren't familiar with and the responsibility that it really takes from the entire uh organization as a whole to really make this happen not just at your institution but other institutions as well as well and how complicated in nature getting all that up and running is and all the stress and the turmoil that it really puts on a lot of people as individuals and how it really could lead to burnout um it's about time for us to hop off to a commercial break uh where can people find you online jennifer um I I guess I'm really just on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I don't have much of a, a social media presence, but I'm on Twitter uh, at Jenny Forday. Cool, and you can find me at Mr. Larry Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. If you feel stuck, exhausted, or just unsure of how to handle everything at once that life is throwing your way, you'll want to listen to What's Important Now, Making Time for What Matters Most with Eva Medelec. 
Eva and her guests will help you learn to focus on the most important priorities in your life so you can handle them one at a time instead of being constantly overwhelmed. What's important now? Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here with Jennifer. And we've been talking about how a lot of the things that have started within the uh, pandemic really pushed uh, hospital staff and uh, everyone into a working environment that was kind of outrageous, especially training new people on systems, making sure that they're able to learn things, uh, processing insurance, uh, doing this in a timely fashion, and really going out there and catering to their entire population to make sure that everyone possible is able to get vaccinated, especially when there's concerns where uh, the uh, virus or the coronavirus was going out there and making people within the organization sick and even taking some lives as well from not just the staff, but the people who live in those local communities. And the kind of turmoil that it really puts on someone. Um, Thinking through how all of that was so overwhelming and all the phone calls and everything that you kind of had to deal with, um, uh, sure, it leads to burnout. But what's the feelings that kind of go behind that where – when you're working, you're being overloaded and it just becomes such a stressful environment. Uh, how, how, how does uh, someone take that in regards to the feelings of uh, what they're going through with everything? Well, honestly, um, especially during the vaccine rollout, for me, it was really like pure adrenaline. I felt incredibly um, responsible for all of the people that were out there trying to do it, trying to answer the phones, um, because I was the one that they were coming to with the questions, or this is broken, or can you look at this, or help me, or what do I say to this person? So I was on our um, internal messaging app or on the phone pretty much with people 12, 14 hours a day, making sure that they were okay and had the right information. Um, because it was complicated, or you would have a patient that would show up and, and have no insurance, but maybe they have insurance and they can't remember, or they don't remember where their vaccine was, or they're, they're swearing that they're an essential worker, but they're 18, and clearly they are just coming from high school and wanting to get their vaccine. So trying to figure out how to talk to all that, it was absolute adrenaline. 
And then when things started to slow down, that's when the burnout hit because you were having to now go back and um, fix the things that were broken, but you had to prioritize this uh, over the broken part of this other system. And we were having to move units. So when you think about the pandemic and you imagine the worst case scenario where you have a freezer car outside of a hospital system putting corpses in there. We never really got to that point, but we did have to move entire units of patients to other units. And in IT, we didn't have to move the patients physically, but we did have to undo the system that had those patients listed there and then move and rebuild that system in the electronic medical record. And that got complicated at times because we're not supposed to touch a patient that's admitted in the system. We're supposed to leave them. And so having to move everybody and transfer them and then build new digital departments was where the burnout really sunk in because, okay, we're doing all this build, we're doing all this work, and we're going to undo it in, you know, three months, six months, however much. And we're going to have to be able to remember what we did so that we can put it back correctly to how it was before. And so that's when you start to get that feeling of, man, I'm just doing double work. Why am I doing this? Is this really necessary? And you have to really remind yourself that what I'm doing is for the good of the community. It's for the good of these patients. It's for the good of the system as a whole. Um, and sort of keep your head up. And there were a lot of people that, that didn't. They're like, I'm not doing it. I'm not building another department. I'm not building... I'm not putting in another new uh, bed into the health system because, or into the electronic medical work system because we have enough beds. And you sort of get that um, almost, um, you know, crossing your arms and saying, I'm done. And so we didn't have people walking off the floor, but we did have people uh, logging off of the computer and the rest of us picking up the slack. And I think that once that pure adrenaline was over, that's when the burnout really hit and the mass exodus began. So what kind of happened is uh, people at your organization like yourself, first they ramped up their normal maybe eight-hour workdays all the way up to 16, but because there was such an immense need for what was happening, uh, it was more of like excitement and so forth, but then it wasn't really translated into burnout. But as things kind of moved and progressed and uh, things kind of got back to normal and then it became the dissipation of all the content and the records that were created and uh, taking them back to a normal process and uh, disseminating them all, that's kind of where everything kind of led to more uh, of a burnout phase? Right, because you're doing that double work, but now you're doing it with fewer people. And mm. not just that, but with the pandemic, a lot of IT people, you know, it was part of the Great Resignation um, because they realized, well, I could be full remote now and I could go and work as a contract IT person. That's a thing where you can actually sell your services to uh, a health system for maybe eight months and then move on to another one for another eight months and take the highest bidder instead of you know maintaining your presence and uh, keeping those relationships and you know finishing what you started at a single organization. 
you can go from place to place, which helps with the burnout, but then it means that the people that are left at the organization are sort of picking up the slack. And that's what we saw a lot of, leaving to go for contract work, less stressful, more exciting, more pay, but we still had to sort of pick up the pieces. And all the while, we're still bringing uh, new practices onto our electronic medical record system. We're still hiring people because in the um, great resignation, of course, we lost a lot of our uh, lower paid employees, like your front desk people, your uh, people that do a lot of the more menial tasks that aren't as high paid. So it's it's been like a, a little bit of a revolving door, um, which means more training and, you know, uh, more support for things like that. And I think that's where a lot of the burnout is. It's like, I'm doing this, I'm helping these people, but then what they're going to leave and we have to bring somebody else in and trying to maintain that uh, attitude of, you know, positivity and helpfulness to be there for those employees to be there for those users, that's where I personally struggle the most because of how much, uh, I guess, movement we've seen. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, With the great resignation, do you feel that someone who would normally stay at a job for about like maybe two to five years, maybe even longer, or just staying there for a few months instead? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Even within my own department, we had seven people that were um, moved from a lower position to a higher position and within a year had leveraged that to, you know, go into that contract work I mentioned. Wow. Um, And that that feels, it feels like a lot. (laughs) And then uh, what kind of trickling effects does that have on all the other people who work in an organization like that when everyone's really going out there and resigning and then you have this high turnover internally? Well, it, um, it has a uh, a huge trickling effect. I was trying to look for a better word, but I don't I don't have one uh, because we still have to do the work. We still have to do all of the uh, upgrades and upkeep, and so with fewer people, we're doing the same workload. So it almost still feels like we're in that pandemic um, emergency state because with fewer people there is the same workload that we saw with like that vaccine rollout or that um, where we're on site trying to help. We're not on site anymore, but we're still working the late hours. In fact, for this phone call, I had to put it into my calendar just to make sure that I could be on with you because otherwise I would be back in there still working on all of these things and making these updates and improvements because of how many people we've lost. Wow. And uh, would you say that the pandemic now is at a much lighter phase than it was like a few years ago? Oh, yeah. We're, I mean, we're seeing a little bit of an uptick now um, because, you know, we're going back to school. We finished vacations, um, but we're not seeing the same amount of people in the hospital. So a lot of those digital departments that we had to create to move those COVID patients into, we have um you know, discontinued those. They're no longer in use in the health system or the uh, electronic medical record system. Um, And we're not using those 
beds or any of those things. We don't have to pull people off their normal jobs to get in there. So we don't have that kind of stress, but we have the, the, the personnel stress and it's really on the IT side that we're feeling it the most because mm. of the amount of people we're supporting. We have to make sure everything works. We have to keep those protect, those uh, protections in check we have to ensure that everybody is learning what to look for and avoiding giving out any of that information. Um, and so that's where the burnout really is felt, just towing the line, keeping our heads up, and making sure everything works for our nurses and doctors on that front line. From thinking of how a hospital operates, I'm assuming like before the pandemic, you're only having people who need surgeries and people who are like um, sick as can be. So you have a very limited database. But then by opening up like COVID vaccines and so forth, that um, database could expand by two, three, four, five, maybe even uh, bigger than that, because now you're going out there and... (laughs) catering to the general public, which means that database becomes a lot more grotesque in nature because of just how many more people are involved. Uh, And that seems like a huge uptick in work volume for someone uh, in a profession like yours. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, in, in patient numbers alone, we went up a good 20 or 30% of patient data that we're now storing because they came and got their vaccine with us but had never come to see us before or they came from out of state. We had a lot of those vaccine vacationers, you know, that go from state to state trying to find one that'll let them come. Um, And so we're still housing all that data, still keeping it safe and protected, um, as well as ensuring that the quality of the information and the efficiency with which we manage it is as up-to-date in keeping with other health systems. So you're right. It did. It's, it's a huge undertaking. And anytime anything new happens, like if we start a, um, a transplant option, for instance, that would mean entirely new build. Or if we start doing heart surgery, that could be an entirely new build. So anytime we add a service, it is more build and more impact on the IT side because we have to do all of our stuff first and then train the clinical staff how to use it, how to document it, where to go to find the information, how to do those um, readings of the MRI within the health system, how to print them out, where the information is being stored, how to request it. So all of that is sort of what we manage and maintain. Wow. Yeah, that sounds extremely difficult, especially when it comes to burnout and so forth. Uh, It seems like uh, the hospital staff, especially the IT, is really pushed uh, into a lot of burnout situations. And I guess we'll talk more about like what we could do to help in those types of situations after this break. But where could people find you online? Uh, We're about to hop off to a commercial break again. I'm sure I'm on Twitter, Jenny Forday. Okay, and you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break.
Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune in to Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel and get Amplified. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel with a replay on Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here with Jennifer, and we've been discussing a lot about the overwhelming uh, issues that have kind of caused burnout to really happen for IT people over in the healthcare systems, especially within large databases, more information to protect, more uh, new programs that initiate new work, a lack of staff, people who were working at the organization no longer working there, the great resignation where uh, people who uh, work at the company for years are leaving within months and so forth and the large dilemmas that it really causes uh, for people like Jennifer and other people who work in IT and so forth really have to face when they're working at a large organization um, 
And I guess burnout really affects more than just IT people. It affects nurses. It affects people all across healthcare. It affects people in regular businesses like um, oil companies, energy companies, uh, Fortune 500 companies, and so forth. And um, I, I guess one, uh, what does burnout kind of feel like? Well, um, it, uh, I mean, it's tiring. Exhaustion, I think, is what I feel the most. And just, um, I guess, a lot of anxiety along with it. And I think the anxiety is what creates the exhaustion. Like every time you get an email, you're like, is somebody else leaving? Are we um, going to be added uh, to another project? Because, you know, maybe another team lost someone because we sort of help each other out. Um, so I think the anxiety and the fear of losing more people is my strongest feeling right now because I love what I do. I don't want to uh, leave my job, and I don't want other people to either. I I want to be here. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, with that loyalty that comes with it and facing that exhaustion and the anxiety, uh, what are some tips that you may have for organizations, the people that you're working with, that individuals could really go out there and do uh, personally themselves to kind of counteract that anxiety and counteract that exhaustion to create more of a healthy work-life balance uh, that uh, people might have had beforehand before uh, facing these burnout-type situations? Well, I'll tell you a couple of things that my organization has started doing recently. Um, first is stay interviews. So we have been allowed to speak with various representatives and say, what keeps us there? Why do we stay? And give us a moment to talk about the good, as well as a moment to say, this is what could be better. This is what I'd like to see. And almost like a magic wand moment. If you had a magic wand, what would you do to improve this? And and I'll be honest with you, just having that space to talk about those things and reveal those inner thoughts of mine. Like, I really wish that I could see more of this, or I will, really wish that I could have this opportunity. Um, that was really, really healing for me. Um, and then also what our organization has um, done is delay a few projects lately, um, seeing the burnout and the um, people, you know, leaving or having to bring on a bunch of new people. Um, we've had a few things delayed, which has given us some relief, you know, given us a moment to breathe and really uh, finish a few things instead of jumping from one project to another to answer the emails, to close the help desk t tickets and really feel like we are um, completing something we are accomplishing something and what we do has value. So those two things in tandem have given me a little uh, lift in my step and um, a smile as I come into work instead of that overwhelming dread I was feeling before. So one, uh, by going out there and sharing like what you're struggling with and also at the same time, the things that could potentially be better by having a voice, by being heard and being listened to where the organization takes into consideration what uh, everyone's kind of going through, that really brings a sense of relief when it comes to burnout. 
Absolutely. Just being able to unload and being heard. I cannot stress how important is it is to be heard. I mean, you see that all the time on the, you know, social media and uh, my daughter talks a lot about it from Instagram and, and TikTok, but just feeling like people listen to you, they hear you and they understand and hopefully something can can come of it, but at least just being heard. We're not shouting to the wind. We're not invisible. Someone cared enough to ask me how they can help. I can see that, and I can definitely see a lot of organizations where people don't feel heard, especially with what they're doing. And um, in IT, as in general, it's one of those... Uh, uh, roles within the office that might be less appreciated than other types of positions. So I could see a lot of people within IT who may not feel heard at other organizations or feel that their concerns or uh, fall upon like deaf ears. So I can definitely see how being heard could definitely be one of the ways to really go out there and uh, <clears throat> bring about a lower sense of burnout to really make sure things uh work more smoothly within an organization. And what was the second thing that you mentioned as well? Uh, we had a, um, a delay on a few projects. They let us, because instead of doing everything at once, they let us put, you know, one on pause and move it to another month or even another year um, in one case to give us more time to really do the job and do it well, um, which was really, really great instead of it being in that emergent mode I was talking about earlier, we were able to make the case that we're no longer in that emergency and we can have a moment to really do the job well instead of just doing it and making sure it works, but not really doing it to our full potential, which is where a lot of IT people get that pleasure from. Like, oh, look, I built this. It's beautiful. It works perfectly every time. It makes the lives easier for those using it. That's where we really feel like we're doing our best work. And being able to really get that final product um, is going to be a huge weight lifted. Well, yeah, I could definitely see that with a lot of organizations. What they like to do is they like to set up sprints and so forth to really go out there and move towards specific goals and break things up so then they're in bite-sized chunks. But then as something like a pandemic could happen, what that does is it kind of overflows the pot as a whole. So now you have people going out there figuring out what priority is what and being overworked and having that uh, workload kind of stagger up to a point where it becomes imbalanced and a lot of people are taking on a lot more work that they should. So I can see how delays and putting in processes and procedures to kind of ease up that workload and take off that uh, emergent nature of the projects could really help a lot. Um, when these two things kind of uh, were implemented through your organization, do you think burnout in the organization reduced significantly? Well, I know for sure in my own uh, department, there was almost like a, a, it's almost like we let out a breath. Like, okay, whew, we have this moment, we can collect ourselves. So the organization as a whole wasn't as impacted by these because they were specific to, uh, to IT and to us. But for us, 
you know, we're bleeding people here. We're losing them left and right. It really did make those of us who stayed feel like we made the right decision. It was the right decision to stay and not to leave. And not just that, but for the organization as a whole, they did give us all an extra vacation day, which seems like a small thing, but um, that was really nice. Like here, you can take it off whenever you want, free of charge, take it. And so that was another really awesome thing. Yeah, I could definitely see that going a long way, especially with the new vacation day. Uh, a lot of organizations are pretty strict when it comes to how many days off you get within an organ- within a calendar year. So having that extra day definitely helps. And also, I could see how the uh, IT department as a whole sighed in the uh, breath of relief, especially because so many people were leaving. And the assumption is a, a huge part of that uh, potential great resignation could have been that uh, extended workload where so many people have been working so long. They're like, okay, this is never going to end. Let me find ways out so I don't have to be stuck in this uh, overworking situation forever. And with that, it really sounds like uh, leadership took a great step in reducing the burnout uh, internally at the organization. Oh, absolutely. And and what you just said there with you don't feel like it'll ever end, that that really describes what it felt like. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So, I mean, I I understand why my peers left. I get it. I'm not mad at them for leaving. I get it. Um, but I am glad that as we're as wrong as it may sound to say it, there's a part of me that's glad they left because it took that it took all of those people leaving for us to really get that notice that allowed us to have that voice. So it, it wasn't a great situation to lose the people, but now we have been seen and we're being heard and, and we're finally making some of the necessary changes that will allow us to better serve our health system as a whole. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how that works, where at first you're looking at it in panic. You're like, oh, wow, all these people are leaving. Uh, All this work's going to go on to me. But then also at the same time, when the institution steps up, it makes it as if that was the necessary that had to happen so the next phase could really happen. That would be even more beneficial to the organization. So sometimes bad things do end up uh, resulting with a good result as well, which it's kind of interesting how life works that way. I know. It really is. Later, you can look back and see that. In the moment, not quite as much. Yeah, it's extremely hard to see, especially in the moment. Um, While you were going through the moment, were there things that you practiced personally that might have helped with your personal burnout? Yes. Um, (coughs) So sorry. One thing that I started doing, I would say especially in the last two or three months, is setting limits in my phone. So hear me out. Um, A lot of times in IT, we are sitting there at our computer and we're very present in our computer, but we also have to be out in the field. And so all of our applications, we also get on our phone. And so one thing that I've started doing is setting limits, saying, you know, notifications only between these hours. And it's actually using the the iPhone um, focus settings um, where you can actually set up parameters where your phone will sort of be your gatekeeper. 
and say, okay, I'm not going to let you through. This is Jennifer's time tonight. So email, nope, not allowed. Teams notifications, nope, not getting through. Uh, phone calls from coworkers, not unless it's an emergency. And that means they would have to call twice in a row to get through. So um, setting that up really was a life changer because now after 6 p.m., I am free and clear. And I have uh, taught myself not to look at the icon to see how many new emails or new Teams notifications I have. I just trust that if it's an emergency, somebody will call me twice in a row and that will be worthy of my attention. And then the next day I log in and I start my work. And so I've had to really put myself first. It's sort of like a uh, in the plane where you put your oxygen mask on. As much as my instinct is to keep working and be available, it really was wearing me down. So just a little thing like that focus setting to be my gatekeeper and save me from myself has really, really been helpful. Awesome. So you basically used your phone to set up boundaries. Uh, so uh, you have like do not disturb times at specific areas and maybe the ringer off after six and putting in double boundaries for the people you work with to contact you after uh, work hours. Exactly. Because you can actually specify people like my kids, they can always get in. But I make sure that those I work with have those boundaries. And of course, if we're doing like a, you know, a baseball night or a team building thing and we're all going to be together, I'll turn it off for that evening so that, you know, we can contact each other. But yes, using my phone to set those boundaries was the best decision I made. It really saved me and kept me in a better frame of mind, which really improved my ability to work as well. Awesome. Well, um, if anyone's listening, those are some great tips that you could really go out there and use to manage your own time, prevent yourself from having burnout. And especially in the trying times nowadays, burnout is more prevalent than ever. So it's really something to really pay attention to and counteract from happening, especially in each of our own personal lives. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Do you have any final words for our guests? I would just say protect yourself. Put yourself first. There's no going back once you sort of uh, realize how important you are and your own well-being is. And I haven't looked back, and I feel so much better, and I, I love what I do. I'm never going back. Awesome. So, everyone, go out there, protect yourself. Thank you for, so much for joining us for another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.